to our church family and all those joining us on the line. We've uh, been on a quest, on a mission sort of thing as a fellowship to find evidence for Jesus in the Old Testament. Why are we doing that? Well, because if we can find Jesus in the Old Testament, if we can prove that he's there, then it means that he's outside of our timeline, that he's existing before time even began, and that would prove that he is God, that he is Lord of all things, he is Lord of even creation. And that at a certain point in history, that Jesus came 2,000 years ago and entered into our timeline, jumped in, if you like, and he became a man, and he died, and he rose again to take the penalty for our sin. The reason that's important is because it affects every person, because our relationship with God is dependent on this man, Jesus. If we, our relationship is depending on us, on our own good works, on our own good deeds, then I know for, for myself personally, I'm in a world of trouble. Because sin isn't just what I do, it's what I think, it's what I feel, it's, it's in my heart. It's, um, it's all, every part of me. So, for example, I might be doing something good for someone and trying to help someone. But I might even be thinking in my mind of an ulterior motive for doing it or, you know, find myself doing it grudgingly or find myself judging them because they can't do it themselves, whatever it is. And I know I'm not alone. We're all like that in some way. We all have sin as a part of who we are. The Bible tells us that no one's righteous, not even one. So if Jesus isn't God, if Jesus is just a good man, he's a good teacher, a good leader of men, then we really have no hope within ourselves of meeting God because our salvation depends on God sending Jesus, his perfect son, as a sacrifice for our sin. He's the only one who could have paid that price for our sin. Secondly, if we find evidence that Jesus is God and that he's been involved in history since creation, then the next question that we need to ask ourselves is why? What's Jesus' agenda? Why would he involve himself in mankind like he does? What's his agenda, if you like? And today we're going to answer that question. We're going to look at John chapter 2 and we'll see the answer to that question of Jesus' agenda as we read that passage together. So... We've already looked at John chapter 1 and we're going into John chapter 2 and we've looked at verses 1 to 12. And in verses 1 to 12 as an introduction, what we saw was Jesus turning water into wine. It's an interesting first miracle. 
And I wonder, you know, it's no fluke, is it, that God does, that Jesus does these things. And so when I start thinking about why he might do that, I saw a mirror, if you like, with Moses turning the river Nile into blood. And the purpose of that was to demonstrate to Pharaoh and to Israel that God is going to rescue Israel from slavery. And so that analogy, if you like, is, is what Jesus, I think, is referring to in this, in this story where he turns water into, into wine. And later on, he takes that wine and he says, this wine is a representative of my blood and it represents a new covenant between God and man. And the, the whole idea, if you like, of the first miracle is that Jesus is saying, I too am going to rescue people from slavery based on not on their good works, but on my blood. I will take them out of slavery. So the second account in John chapter 2, we see Jesus arriving at a temple to celebrate the Passover. So before we read the passage, we need to understand what is the Passover? Well, the Passover was a feast that was to be celebrated by Israel every year. And that too was to celebrate and commemorate the fact that Israel had been rescued out of Egypt. And it was a, it was a point in history where God told Israel to take a lamb uh, and sacrifice it and paint its blood above the door and on the door frames and eat the lamb. And then when the angel of death would come, he would pass over the house of Israel and only the, the firstborn of the Egyptians would die. And so God was saying, this is really important. This rescue from slavery is, is a big deal for me. I'm going to rescue them out of slavery and bring them into relationship with myself. So let's read John chapter 2 and see what happens when Jesus goes to Jerusalem to celebrate this Passover. Verse 13 says, It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. So let's just stop there for a second. Why did Jesus need to go to Jerusalem? Why couldn't he celebrate the Passover at his house with his friends? Well, because in Deuteronomy chapter 16, God told Israel that the celebration must only take place at a designated place, a place of worship. And this was a place where people would come and they would journey, if you like, toward God, and they would meet God there. It was a place of worship. And so in this case, the temple or the place of worship, the designated place was in Jerusalem, in the temple. And so being a true Israelite, Jesus went to this place of worship to meet with God. And verse 14 says that in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle and sheep and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. And so Jesus made a whip from some of the ropes and he chased them all out of the temple. And he drove out the sheep and the cattle and he scattered the money changers' coins all over the floor and he turned over the tables. Then going over to the people of who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And clearly, Jesus is not happy with what he saw in the temple. It seems way out of character for this meek and mild sort of Jesus that we have an idea of to actually make a whip, take the time to make a whip and to go chasing the animals around the temple. You can imagine the chaos and the noise and turning over tables and money scattering everywhere. It was, would have been quite a scene. Verse 17 says, Then the disciples remembered this prophecy from Scripture. It says, 
passion for God's house will consume me, verse 17. I think this is the reason John actually includes this this quote, if you like, or a line from the song into this this uh, story. He wanted to show that Jesus was the Messiah, that this is the one that's been spoken of in the Old Testament, in this psalm. And he's pointing out that Jesus is the one who's fulfilling the prophecy in their time. And no one reading the scripture in the past would have understood that this was about Jesus or the Messiah to come. It was just about a guy who was passionate about going to the temple and because of his passion he's being insulted by his friends. So this is really uh, something that I'm not making up and saying this is an interpretation. This is the disciples pointing back to the Old Testament and saying now we understand who Jesus is and what he's on about. He's actually fulfilling scripture. So why was Jesus so passionate about this, his father's house? Well, to answer this, this answers the first question about what is Jesus' agenda. He's very passionate about the house of God. Not only does God, God and Jesus want to rescue people from slavery out of sin, he wants to bring them into relationship with himself. And so and this is his, Jesus' whole agenda. This is his purpose for, for being, for coming to earth, to bring people to himself, to invite them into his father's presence. The Jewish leaders, the high priests, were actually making quite a lot of money from people trying to meet with God. And they're like, if you want to meet with God, then you've got to pay up. And Jesus was like, well, not today, not on my watch, not while I'm here. I mean, he's, this is the reason he came, to bring people to God. And so he got fired up. For me, this is a sobering reminder for us as individual Christians and for us as a church. We can ask ourselves a similar question. What are we doing that's preventing people from coming to meet with God? I mean, if our, temp if our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, which anyone who believes in Jesus, that he's died for their sin, has been filled with the Spirit and the Spirit dwells in us. And the Bible does describe us as temples of the Holy Spirit. And so people, when people look at us, they come to meet with God. And so the question that we've got to ask ourselves is what are the barriers that, what are, what are we putting in place that are preventing people from meeting with God? You know, we've heard people say, you've probably heard them say yourself, I, Jesus is a good bloke, I don't mind Jesus, I love Jesus, but, you know, that's, I don't like Christians. Um, and most of us, you know, would think, well, he's obviously not talking about me, I'm okay. But, you know, have a think about that because there are things in our lives that people look at and they will say, well, if he calls himself a Christian, I don't, I don't want to be any part of it. And so, I mean, there's lots of things. It could be pride. We, we get pride, we get arrogant, we get greedy, we have lust. Uh, maybe it's the way we speak. Maybe it's the way we treat people. Maybe it's the way you run a business or maybe you're too quick to judge people when they speak. Maybe you're quick to lose your temper. And whatever it is, people are looking at us as Christians, as God's representatives, and they're either saying, I want to be part of that, what you've got, or we're actually preventing them from entering in, entering in, coming in to meet with God. And as leaders of the church, we have to ask ourselves the same question. What are the barriers that are preventing people from coming to meet with God? And the church is often seen in the world as a money-grabbing thing. It's all about the money. 
And so we have to really make sure that we're open and honest about our money and what we do with it and that it doesn't become the thing that prevents people from, from meeting God. I'm sure Jesus would be just as upset with us as he was with those in the temple. But it's more than just money, obviously. There's, there's a lot of other barriers that we as churches put in place, uh, religious programs that put people off. I mean, even our worship, if it's actually not pointing to God and bringing glory to God, could be a barrier from people coming to know God. It could be our programs, it could be our doctrine, it could be just the fact that we don't, we're not friendly. It could be the fact that we not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, which is actually God wants to demonstrate His fruit of the Spirit through us to people. And so if we're not full of love and full of joy and full of peace and patience and kindness and all of those things, then people will, won't come to know God. And so since, since the fall of man, if you like, Jesus has been paving this road for people to come and meet with His Father, His God. And so you can understand his passion and his frustration when people who call themselves Christians, and, and I'm one, who actually prevent people from meeting with God. Jesus would be frustrated with that. And I get the idea that as what Jesus would like to do in the temple, in the physical situation, he actually wants to do in us. He's worked through the work of the Spirit. He wants to cleanse our temple, if you like, and, and get rid of all of the stuff that's preventing people from coming to know God, which is the work of the Holy Spirit, to cleanse the temple. And so let's have a think about that and invite the Spirit into our lives to do His work, to make us more like Jesus, and so that we're not putting barriers in place for people to come to know God. Uh, let's pray together now. Father, we acknowledge that we are sinners, that we've fallen a long way short of your standard. And we know that we actually can turn people off from coming to know you just by the way that we act. And so we confess our sin to you today and we ask for your forgiveness. And we invite the Holy Spirit into our life to cleanse us and to make us more and more like Jesus. Help us to be the ones who represent the kingdom and uh Lord, we ask that you'll use us today as we go out into our workplaces and our schools or wherever we meet to meet people to actually make you known. We ask for your help to do this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Have a great week, church. We'll see you all next Could have held when I just can't see past myself, Lord, help me be.